Hi there, welcome to the Second Adolescence Podcast. Here, we talk about all things queer healing and second adolescence. So what is second adolescence, you might ask? Second adolescence is a sort of developmental life stage queer people navigate in our post-coming out adult years after growing up within an anti-queer world. For many, second adolescence is about healing the wounds of our younger queer selves, gaining the experiences they missed out on, and unlocking what it means for us to exist as our most free and true selves. I am your host, Adam James Cohen, psychotherapist and human who went through his own second adolescence. On this week's episode, we have Nathan Serrato, who uses they-he pronouns. Nathan is a trauma-informed yoga and breathwork instructor and PCC-certified life coach. Among a lot of different things, Nathan helps queer people overcome religious shame so they can live fully expressed lives and takes a holistic approach to transformation by combining somatic techniques with identity shift coaching. Nathan and I chatted about the greater umbrella of queer healing and various individual aspects within it. And I just so love this conversation and I'm really excited to invite you into it. And as with each episode of Second Adolescence, I really wanna invite you as listener to listen with open curiosity, knowing that each of our stories are different and unique. You might hear some guests share things that really differ from your experience, whereas other guests might share things that really speak to what you went through or are currently going through. And I really hope that all of this happens and that together we can continue growing and expanding our awareness of what life and queerness and healing can be for folks. If after the show you wanna connect further, feel free to head on over to secondadolescencepod.com for show notes and more, or you can follow the show on Instagram at, at Second Adolescence Pod. All right, welcome to the conversation. Thank you so much for being here. Welcome to Second Adolescence. I'm really, yeah, really excited to have you here. So thank you for coming on. And yeah, before. Yeah. Oh, I just cut you off. Way to go, Adam. Yeah. (laughs) I was just going to say, I'm excited to be here too. Thanks for inviting me. (laughs) Yay. And yeah, before going anywhere, I always like to invite the person on your end just to give a little mini introduction to help the listeners have a little bit more context for who the person is behind the voice. So when you're in spaces like this, how would you answer that who are you question? In spaces like this, my name is Nathan Serrato, and I'm a Master Certified Life and Trauma Coach. I've been doing this for over five years now. And basically what I do is help people overcome shame and learn how to speak more powerfully. Mm. More recently, I've had the privilege of partnering with an expert theologian, uh, Brandon Robertson. And we've been really working to help people through religious trauma. And some of the ways we do that is he helps them deconstruct some misconceptions in biblical terms. And I help people kind of break down misconceptions about their beliefs about themselves so that they can feel more empowered in, in how they live. So it's been really powerful to really combine those modalities, but overall it's breaking through shame and helping people to be more confident in the world. Mm. Gosh, that is just like, so the essence of particularly like within our audience, the people that are listening to the show, like the essence of queer healing is all about unlearning shame and healing shame. And yeah, I appreciate you bringing in the religious trauma element of it all. I think a lot of folks are coming to this show and kind of are navigating their lives, still holding some of that. And so, wow, okay, it sounds like you're doing really powerful work. That's great. Can I ask, how did you get into this work to start there? What's been your journey finding this work? So, I mean, it was really inspired by my own healing journey. And, you know, I suffered from depression and nightmares and night terrors um, coming out of the closet uh, because I grew up very Catholic. 
I grew up mm. in the Catholic Church. We switched to Lutheran, which was still like Catholic light. It was the same thing, but I was just not secure in my sexuality, and I didn't find the mental health resources that I needed. Therapy, there's a time and place for it. I'm not going to dig on therapy, but for myself. And the lack of training and education that a lot of therapists had back then, it did not help or support me. So I had to find alternative ways of really moving through this, one of which was yoga at the time. But as I started digging a little deeper, you know, I discovered somatic coaching, timeline therapy and breath work. And those are the, really the modalities that I've been using now with my clients. And I wanted to give back and make that path a little bit easier for people. So they didn't have to go through the amount of trainings and events and the journey that I went through. It was almost a decade of trying to figure this shit out. <laughs> uh, yes, so, yes. And I was like, yeah, how can I break it down and make it easier for other people to move through their shame? Oh, I love that. We have different stories, but there's a similar parallel. I think that I too spent a decade doing my own personal work which led me to this work, to wanting to kind of offer it out. And in a similar way, I hear you kind of doing the same thing, which is really powerful. And you mentioned these three modalities I want to pick your brain about. Timeline therapy, somatic coaching, and breath work. Could you, I mean, I'm sure you could probably talk for like hours on each of them, but for listeners who are new to those modalities, could you just give like a brief overview and then maybe we can dive a little bit more in? A brief overview, Adam. I know, really I know. Here. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I'll do my best. Okay, a brief yeah, overview. Yeah, yeah, totally. Is I find that in therapy with some people, we over-intellectualize our problems and it can become a new coping mechanism to over-intellectualize and it doesn't really do the healing. Like we know the ice cream is bad for us, but somehow we're still eating the ice cream. And it's like, how do we really make that shift in our nervous system? So timeline therapy allows us to have more uh, of a visceral experience in moving through it. The somatic coaching as well has a more kinesthetic experience moving through it. And the breath work, very similar, kind of shakes up your nervous system. I think there's this infamous video of a polar bear getting shot with a dart gun. And after it gets shot with a dart gun, it's experiencing this trauma because a predator has never experienced so much trauma or it's never been the prey before. And so to move through that, it shakes and convulses and has to shake out all that energy. And so somatic coaching and breath work really is based on the idea that that trauma is stored in our body and we have to move it out. So breath work and somatic coaching allow us to do that. Mm. Wow. And were those three modalities part of your own healing journey too? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I'm wondering if you could share either your own experience or kind of what it looks like for any people you work with to move through each of those. And it sounds like they offer a ton of support to each other. Yeah, I think all three combined are very powerful. And I'll start with the timeline therapy. And I'll, I'll share a personal story with this because I think we all have those events in life that, that might trigger us. And I was in a relationship where little things really got to me. And when I thought about how minuscule those things are, maybe in this relationship, he would forget to text me back or just really small things. And they would create this really big reaction. And I was like, what is actually going on here? What's this, what am I reacting from? And I found that a lot of what was coming up was this anxiety about being in a gay relationship in itself. So at night I would wake up from these night terrors, like, oh no, I, I can't be in a relationship with a man. Even though consciously I didn't believe any of that stuff anymore. It was like my nervous system was still responding to, you know, that fear and that terror of going to hell. And so it was like, I couldn't control it. And so timeline therapy allowed me to really see things 
in chronological order. I was able to see this event for what it was. I'm like, oh, these are just typical relationship problems. And then I was able to see where my fear was actually coming from, which was deeply rooted in Catholic guilt and shame. And seeing it on that level is so powerful because you're able to really take your power back and realize that you don't have to take that fear with you into those new relationships, into your workplace, into new things. So it just gives you a really powerful perspective. And that is what stopped my nightmares personally. Wow. Yeah, it was just, ultimately, I don't want to give power to the modality itself because all those answers come from within. And that's what I tell people. That's why I love coaching is that you have all the answers inside of you, but how do we connect you deeper to yourself and create more empowerment within you? And these tools are just tools to support you in doing that. Mm -hmm. And I appreciate you highlighting how, you know, we can do this work on like, you know, this cognitive level consciously of understanding the what, why, and how of our story, recognizing where we began, kind of the different things we were exposed to with regards to either anti-queerness or toxic gender norms or all of these societal constructs that are very oppressive and limiting to us queer people as we're in our childhood adolescence development. So you can do this conscious work to recognize the what, why, and how, but you're mentioning how there's this like deeper level, whether it's on the body level or the unconscious level where there can still live the wounding and live this, you know, your body had internalized the fear as you're speaking to your nervous system had internalized the fear from that shame and how, you know, that might be kind of a piece that folks either overlook or don't recognize, ooh, that's still holding me back. And I'm curious, yeah, have you found with other folks, what does that look like? It looks like for you, there was night terrors. Like that was the manifestation of, of where, how that fear was really interrupting access to the life you wanted for yourself now. How do you see for other people you work with, kind of like that final step where, ooh, they still have maybe these body level or, or unconscious level woundings still perhaps keeping them held back, even if in their mind they're like, oh, I've already done the work. I thought I've healed this. What are ways you see it kind of manifesting or getting in their way? Yeah, that's interesting. I'm glad you asked that because the night terrors are more like the extreme manifestation of that wounding and trauma, but it can be a lot simpler than that. It can be kind of getting into that people-pleasing mentality or not having good boundaries, sabotaging relationships, this anxious attachment. You don't know why, but you just can't commit to a relationship. So there's all these different subtle ways that are actually people reacting from those wounds. But more often I see it in relationships. It's how do you love when your version of love have been skewed from childhood? Like you don't even know what love is because love has always been changing for others. And like you want to resist that so badly. And so I find relationships are like the biggest telltale of how you're doing, right? It's just a mirror to your own internal problems. Absolutely. And then the piece about going back to when you mentioned really supporting folks navigating healing from growing up within a maybe an oppressive religious context. Um, not that every person's religious context is oppressive or harmful, but for folks who that's part of their experience. I'm curious how that comes into play here too. And what has that work look like with people who that's a core issue that they're coming to you with? You know, I think religion affects us more than we, we know, even if you didn't grow up strictly religious, but because it's so pervasive in our society, we really have adopted so many worldviews and identities based on that. And, and I want to highlight the identities of like 
who we see ourselves as and how we've had to adapt in society. I have people that come to me who, you know, maybe they experienced a level of guilt and pressure to fit into society as a child. And that's just come with our norms in, from religion, from culture. And so we experience this feeling of being left out, of being different. And so we have to adapt to that somehow. So maybe we take on this identity of being an overachiever. We take on this identity of being a perfect child, a perfect friend, an entertainer, I see quite a bit. But we find some way to kind of adapt to us not really belonging, us not fitting into the standard fundamentalist religious views that are really embedded in our constitution even, right? Under God, they're there, whether we like them or not. So to break out of that, it's not just changing our behaviors, it's really changing how we see ourselves. Oh, I've been overachieving just so I could try and fit in. But what if I just believed I fit in? What if I just right. believed I belong? Yes. And what if I find communities that really help me feel that and change that instead, right? So it's really shifting how you view yourself and religion has impacted that all over the world. There's no escaping it. I also wanna preface too that I work with people from all religious backgrounds. And my goal is not to help you break out of Christianity. It's to help you find your own way of working with spirituality, whether it's within Christianity or outside of that. I don't care. But what I do care about is that you stop hating yourself and that you stop hiding yourself and that you choose what pathway is best for you. Mm. Exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point to everything you just shared. Yes. I want everyone to like almost rewind, re-listen to everything you just shared. Because that's such an important part. And I, I see that a lot with my clients too. And it was true in my own journey of unconsciously, in response to shame, taking on certain roles and way of being to receive validation and value. But the tricky part is when like, you know, it's almost like whenever anything's being driven by shame, it's like we're always kind of at risk a little bit. And we think that the us underneath this role is not good enough. And that's ultimately what I'm hearing you talk about too, how a lot of your work with clients of yours is helping people really see that themselves underneath these beliefs of them having to be these certain roles in order to receive validation, like themselves underneath is good enough, is great enough, is lovely as they are. They're not the things that perhaps they internalize even unconsciously to believe about themselves from anti-queerness, from all these other kind of cultural messaging. It's tricky to detangle those. And it's tricky, but I see it a lot. I guess now I'm just thinking about a client of mine who was the overachiever in high school. It did really well unconsciously doing so because didn't want anyone to find out that she was queer. And that was where she put all of her energy to be the overachiever, to do well in school, got into like the top colleges, achieved the kind of the corporate ladder, all of that. But she still experiences so much anxiety now if she perceives a coworker thinks she did something wrong or if she's going into a meeting and she like doesn't really know exactly what she's going to present on. That's really anxiety provoking. We've kind of uncovered her overachiever has been her her way of maintaining safety and value. And if she's not the one performing and achieving like She's worried people are going to find out this big, bad secret of her gay identity, and that's going to be so bad. And there's some humor there because it's like yeah. we can then consciously look at that. It's like, well, do we need to hold this shame anymore? Do we need to feel so afraid of our queerness? Like, no, but there's still, like, like you were speaking to earlier, there can still be these body level, nervous system level, deeper ingrained beliefs part of us that still hold that fear. And uh, yeah, untangling that is uh, the work. Yeah. <laughs> and it's so funny. As you're saying that, I'm like one of the ones that came up 
like that's just classic stereotype is the gay boy who's best friends with this high school English teacher. <laughs> Have you heard that stereotype? And it's uh-huh. like being that like teacher's pet because you get that safety in there. And there's, yeah. you know, we form these identities of being the good student overachiever, whatever that is. But I love what you said is that that serves us in a lot of ways, right? Not only does it get us safety, it gets us that connection maybe with our teachers, our loved ones, our caregivers. But also it propels us forward in our career. So we get, you know, a sense of esteem and validation in that as well. So breaking out of that, sometimes we don't want to get rid of that identity. Right. Because it serves us. Right. So it's like, how do we separate what's serving us and what isn't? Mm. Because maybe working hard and getting that job that we wanted is serving us, but the anxiety to go to those meetings, like that client that you have, where can we release that identity a little bit, release attachment or redefine what it means to be an achiever or successful? Mm. And that's where, at least in, in timeline therapy, they get to experience that on a chronological level and see, oh yeah, like this has been impacting me for a while. But even consciously just in coaching or in therapy, you know, redefining those is really powerful for people. Mm, totally. Specifically redefining success, I think is really powerful for people. So if you're on this call. I want to ask you to define success for yourself and see if it serves you. Because most of the time, it does not serve you what you think success actually is. Wow. That is it. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. What What does success mean for you? What is a success you've been chasing? And then is that real success that serves you? Ooh, and yeah, where did you come to learn that is what success means? Wow, that's so interesting. I mean, particularly in our culture, the answer to that's going to be different from culture to culture. But gosh, I can already see there's some some things to perhaps unlearn is it there. dollar yeah. amount? Right. Is it getting married? Right. Is it having a kid, right. family? Like all these heteronormative standards for success. Yes. And it's like, what do I actually want success to look like? Because maybe I just want to have a group of friends, a gaggle of gays where we do game nights every yes. now and then. And I make a decent living and I don't have to be, you know, the, the top of the pyramid of the food chain, right? It's giving us permission to choose how we want to live. Yes. And I don't think we make that decision consciously. We're still kind of reacting off that nervous system, or at least a lot of us are in our society. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And that's making me also think about how even within the greater queer community, I don't know if you found this with any of your clients or people in your personal life too, there can still be this, what does success mean as a queer person? Like what does it mean to be a the right kind of queer person or what kind of queer person should I be? Like there's a lot of shoulds even with regards to queerness. Like we experience so many shoulds as we're growing up in this world and in heteronormativity and cisnormativity and that's toxic. But then yeah, it can even be within our community. There can be shoulds around like, what it means to be queer enough. And if I don't identify as someone who wants to do this, what seems like a more of a mainstream queer activity or enjoy that TV show or whatever is, does that mean I don't have a place here too? I don't know. Do you ever see that with clients of kind of this struggle even to define for themselves what it means to find maybe not even success, but just like navigating their own relationship with these shoulds within how they feel like they should be showing up as a queer person? All the time. I want to say it's like just part of the process of understanding yourself as a queer person. Mm. One of my clients said this amazing. It's like coming out of the closet and going into a cage. Wow. It's like you free yourself from certain heteronormative social norms. And then you jump into this playground of lots of other queer people who are going through their own challenges and projecting their own challenges on one another. And they almost bring their own issues into the queer community. So yeah, it's like, am I gay enough? Am I masculine enough? Am I muscular enough? 
there's still the sense of not enough. And I feel like you kind of have to do that, right? You have to kind of break out of the shame of heteronormative society. Then you have to go into the queer community, try everything on, see what works for you. And then you have to break out of that and then find your own version of you. And I find that most people have to go through that process. But ultimately, it's why I coach around that initial identity, because oftentimes people are bringing that identity from childhood through to the queer community, and they're just repeating the same patterns just with a different group of people. Mm. So when you can shift that and consciously start seeing yourself in a different light, seeing that you are worthy of love, that you don't have to be a perfectionist, you don't have to be the entertainer, the achiever, then you can choose who you want to be in this world. Right. And that's when you can start creating your more authentic version of what queerness looks like. Yes. Yeah. And in that, I'm also, I think about like the power of like finding what like is playful and joyful for us, like truly, like using like the power of play, the power of joy as a way to also guide us more towards ourselves, like, and letting us, letting ourselves fully explore that. That could look like so many different things for folks, like whether that's something through a hobby or through art or through dance or through, style of dress or through like there's so many different ways to find play and joy i don't do you have you found that to be a piece too and people that you work with their own journey of coming into themselves yes absolutely it's like i mean we call it inner child healing whatever Mm -hmm. but it's kind of reigniting this level of play and freedom that they didn't get as children or as adolescents and letting them kind of create that so oftentimes i have clients who just want to take up dance classes just for fun to express themselves go on hikes go kayaking but there's this level of healing that comes with that freedom and that play and i can't stress that part enough because you can understand all this stuff you can do the deep shadow work but then that integrating process of just letting yourself be in life letting yourself play and have fun and you don't have to be thinking about your childhood trauma 24 7 Right, because that's kind of the the downside of doing this work and having that understanding is that then you can become over obsessed with it and hyper fixate on it, which is like, no, 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 do the work and then go live your life. Mm-hmm. So I'm glad you said that. My whole body relaxed when you said that too. I was like, oh yeah, play, play's the thing. This stuff right. can be fun. <laughs> right? No, totally, totally. And yeah, and I, I really appreciate what you shared too, because again, there can be such an emphasis on therapy, healing. It should be hard. You should go into the depths and you should like, yeah, be with your shame, unlearn it. Like it should be work, work, work. Like there's like a heaviness almost to the work of healing, which like has value. And like, I love any type of healing. And I think there's value in lots of different ways of healing. And as you're speaking to, there can be this tendency to like almost over-identify with our trauma. And it's tricky because I want to be cautious not to minimize our trauma or delegitimize our trauma. But it is something for each person to check in with, like how much am I letting the story of being someone who's holding this trauma, whether that's trauma of growing up with an anti-queerness, like additional traumas laid onto that, depending on each of our own situations and stories. Like it's tricky when we let that become so much of our identity as this person who is this Yes, survivor, but almost still it can almost feel like I'm cautious of my words here because again, I don't want to have a listener who it's been really important for them to like own that they are survivors of trauma and own that it's been challenging and hard. And I think you're you're inviting people to do the both and like, yes, like hold the value and legitimacy and honoring of the depth of that wounding. But also like we are more than our traumas too. And there's a softening that can happen when we open up space. Well, like, what would it look like if I just like let this go? And like, who am I separate from this trauma? Who was I before this trauma? Who like, what is like the most authentic and liberated me in addition to having this trauma be a part of my story? So there's like almost a softening there. I appreciate you bringing that in. 
And I relate so much to just the challenge you had even choosing your words for that, mm. right? To make sure that, you know, you're not disempowering someone who's who's identified with their traumas. And, and I think that really just demonstrates how important it is to own where you are in your journey, because everyone's journey is going to look different and everyone's path is going to look different. And where you are in your journey of overcoming shame is going to be different. And in that sense, wherever you are, if it's empowering to hang on to your identity, if you're, it's empowering to own that, that struggle, to feel resilient, freaking own it. That might serve you for where you're at and you'll need that. And then for others, maybe you've been hanging on to it for so long that at this point, you don't really need to anymore. Mm. I, I think, again, it's just kind of speaking to different audiences and where they are. Like if I were to speak to you know a trans teen in Florida right now, it's going to be very different to how I speak to a queer adult living in Southern California. And they're going to have access to very different resources, be in very different stages of their healing journey. But again, if it serves you to hang on to that identity, freaking hang on to it. And if it doesn't, then you get to decide what you keep and what you don't. Mm. In your own journey, does anything else come to mind around what's helped you get here and what continues to help? Hmm. You know, it's, it's interesting, keeping on this theme of play, hmm. I've been diving back into fiction books, and I hadn't for a really long time. It was all personal growth, study, very dense books. And oh my gosh, the healing of a fiction book that I've had. Mm. It's just wonderful. The The freedom, the space, it's just like tapping into my creativity. But it's also oh, some of the stories that you read are very heartfelt and beautiful. So reading is one. Mm. Dance is another, just moving my body and you know, I love ecstatic dance and, you know, just moving like a weirdo mm. and friendships, friendships and connections with family has been powerful. Mm. All three of those have been at the top of my list yes. these days. <laughs> yes. And for folks listening who haven't heard of ecstatic dance, could you share a bit about what that is? Everyone needs to do ecstatic dance at least once in their life. It's a safe space that is a sober space and you get into a room and all types of music are usually played. It can be anything from salsa to hip hop to spiritual ambient music. Uh, most of the time it's DJs playing and there's really no rules for how you dance. It's just kind of having fun with your body, being present with your body and exploring what self-expression means to you. You know, sometimes you can dance with people if you want, but most people are really just having a fun time dancing on their own. And it's one thing that just gets me out of my head and into my body, which, you know, I very much live in my head a lot. I'm just very technical and dense around things. So I need that reminder to just be in life and dance does that for me. So yeah, you and you mentioned the sober component of this. And that's actually another thing that I'd be curious to just hear if this has come up at all in your own work. I found like that's been a piece of different people's own exploration and healing is to just explore how they relate to certain substances and kind of what serves them and what doesn't. And I'm thinking about like so much of the history of like relatively contemporary queer culture has been like the queer bar, the gay bar has been like a place of community and a place of shelter and a place to find each other. And in like, I say, quote unquote, mainstream queer culture, it's just because it's so loud and visible, like bar culture is still such a part of it. And there's still so much beauty and power to queer bars and like queer dance clubs and all of that. And more and more I'm finding clients bring in more reflection of like, 
does this serve me to, like, does my relationship with alcohol serve me? Does my relationship with marijuana, like really interrogating that? I'm just noticing more conversation culturally these days, just like being curious about either sobriety, are clients of yours like also just looking at that side of things? 100%. Yeah. Just in general, like you said, there's more of cultural awareness to how it's actually impacting us. Mm. And I think that's probably a result of the popularization of like, therapy speak on TikTok and like mm. pop psychology books. And I think people are becoming a little more aware of the need for that. And I also think it's more of a societal thing of like freedom in our society, like at least where I am in Southern California, I'm very blessed to be here in San Diego where I can just walk around most places wearing what I want with whom I want. And I'm not afraid of being hurt that way. So in that sense of liberation, especially in metropolitan cities, I think we also don't need to hide in bars anymore. Mm. We don't need the drink to help liberate us. We just are liberated in many cases. Mm. I know that's not the case for everybody in the US, but I think that's helping to contribute to that conversation of, do I need this alcohol or not? Do I need this substance or not? Right. Totally. There's a shift happening. More and more people are exploring this. And I'm not, I don't want to open this up as everyone should be sober or no one should drink. Or I, like That's not what I'm doing <laughs> here. But I guess it's an invitation for each person just to be curious about if they are someone who is using certain substances. Like, what is their relationship to it? And how is that? Like, what do they know about that? And what is it doing for them? Because I, I think... I just, as long as we bring mindfulness and awareness to all the things that we're doing, there's power there. And so a little plug for people to kind of just explore that. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. Well, I want to talk with you all day, but I won't because I'll let you go do what you got to do. But I'm curious, like, has anything not come up yet in this conversation that you wanted to invite in? Hmm. Well, we talked about booze. We talked about religion. <laughs> I actually feel very complete in this Mm. conversation. I feel like we shared a lot. I mean, if I were to just share one last thing with people is, is to really trust themselves. The more that I've done this work for people and facilitated this work, it all comes back into really trusting that so many of the answers that you're looking for are inside. And I think so much we want to find that right book or that right class that's going to help us to overcome things. And so much of that wisdom is within you. Not that it's not helpful to have a guide with you, but you're all wise. Trust yourselves. That's it. Mm, I love that. Because yeah, there can be almost this feeling of like relinquishing our power to whoever's in that healing role in our lives, whether that's a therapist, a coach or whatnot. And I appreciate you even earlier in the conversation naming this too around not wanting to place so much power in the modality, and but really having each person recognize like, they have all the answers within them and it's they can use different tools they have access to to help find that answer within them but it's there and it looks different for so many people healing looks different for so many people and there's nothing wrong with asking for help either along the way hell yeah absolutely absolutely totally and so before i let you go could you share a little bit about what you're up to these days what kind of work you do in the world and like if folks are curious to connect with you work with you understand more about what you're offering what would you share with them yeah absolutely i love doing one-on-one coaching so if you're interested in exploring timeline therapy somatic coaching or even the breath work i do virtual events so if you go to queerconscious.com you can find more information about that awesome Well, Nathan, this has been such a treat. I feel like I just want to talk with you for hours about all the things and queer healing and the work we're doing. And but so I just so appreciate you taking the time and offering your heart, your wisdom, your experience and your way of being with everyone here. And 
So yeah, just really appreciate you. Likewise, Adam. Thank you. Hey, thanks for joining us for today's conversation. Feel free to head on over to secondadolescencepod.com for show notes and more. And you can connect further by following the show on Instagram at, at secondadolescencepod. If you're interested in being a future guest on the show and you want to come on and share about your own second adolescence, visit secondadolescencepod.com slash be a guest and you can submit your interest there. All right, that's it for me for now. Whether it's morning, afternoon, night, wherever we're finding you in your day, go on out there and keep doing things that would make younger you absolutely thrilled. That is what it's all about. Mm. All right, take good care.